Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. It's going to be a big day for America. Oh, it'll be a great day for America. To get you into the holiday spirit, Joe Biden is going to waddle out of the White House and wag his finger at you if you haven't been vaccinated. And here in the state of Indiana, we've got, what, 50% vaccination rate? Isn't it about evenly split here, Ethan? That was the uh, last numbers that. I saw. Yeah, The lowest vaccination rate in the nation <laughs> or among them. <laughs> the most dangerous state. Yes. You know, but it's nice to be uh, the most dangerous state for a different reason, you know. If this is the most <laughs> dangerous, how bad could it be, you know? <laughs> This is the worst it gets. I think I'm okay with that. Well, uh, there's good news uh, here in the preview for the president's comments. There's not going to be another lockdown because they know if there were another lockdown, not only would it obliterate the economy, but people would be out in the streets. They're not going to put up with it. So that's not not coming, but he is going to issue a stark warning to the unvaccinated. Uh, I can't wait to, to watch him lean into the mic and get vaccinated, get vaccinated. He's also going to announce some new measures. They're going to send out some home testing kits. So uh, if you want to get yourself tested, I, I I fully believe that these things are going to be completely <laughs> wasted, Ethan, because as soon as you get it in the mail, the majority of people, whether they're sick or not, are going to rush out and test this thing to find out if they've got the antibodies. Well, yeah, you, you, you're going to have dual waste because you have the people who will put them on a shelf and forget about them never to be used again. Right. And then you have the people who will use all of them every time they have a sniffle. Mm-hmm. The home and- tests suck, dude. Like, I've tried taking them. and Do you have to swab? How do they work? It, it's the, So you, you dip it in a liquid, then you shut up your nostrils and swirl it around. And it's the same process, <laughs> but the issue is that the home tests are so likely to have mm-hmm. false negatives. Yeah. And that's the issue is that... You can't trust these tests. Even if they send them out in good faith, it's not an accurate resource. Well, nobody's going to shove up that swab voluntarily far up enough the nostril by themselves to give an accurate reading, you would think. I don't know. When I think about Biden still being in office for another three years, I consider it, you know. Oh, middle lobotomy. <laughs> hey, uh, all across the state, you know, it's been very controversial, uh, this issue of kids and whether or not to vaccinate children. Uh, now at age five, my daughter is eligible for the vaccine, and we have not done it yet, uh, and probably won't because uh, kids seem to fare pretty, uh, fairly well with this thing. However, in Los Angeles, where I used to live, uh, you know, uh, what a country California is. <laughs> They've decided that they are uh, going to try and impose a uh, vaccination on all kids, all kids attending L.A. Uh, schools. That announcement came down, uh, what, about a couple of months ago, I think. But now they got pushback on that. A lot of the kids have not been vaccinated. Their parents aren't good with that. And so they've decided that they're going to delay on this. So uh, a uh, charming lady, a uh, member of the uh, LAUSD school board, she had a few comments about that. And one of the reasons that they had to delay is that they have a lack of resources. And uh, so for the kids that aren't going to get vaccinated, they're going to have to do the remote learning thing. And, uh, well, this lady uh, saw a couple of problems with that. I looked at it with one of my uh, grandchildren at his middle school. He might have as many as three new teachers in January. He's fully, va- he's not fully vaccinated, he's only his first one, but he's, he, he will be fully vaccinated by January, even though he's not yet 12. But he would lose three teachers. He did nothing wrong. He got vaccinated. I felt like we were ending up with a situation in which those who complied would be the most negatively affected. And I couldn't see that that would be fair. 
So you see what's happening here, Ethan, is they have set up the narrative. He, he did nothing wrong. He did what he was supposed to do. He complied. And uh, they have set up this narrative now where they are dividing people and marginalizing this group. And here we have so many issues with children bullying each other. They're pushing the CRT crap out in California and uh, trying to, to embrace uh, the idea that, uh, you know, we shouldn't we shouldn't marginalize people. We shouldn't discriminate. And yet you have the people, the very people who are pushing for that agenda doing the exact same thing, but with the vax versus unvaxed. You know, uh, with child suicide rates on the rise, unfortunately, uh, you know, I think the last thing that you need to add into children's lives is mm -hmm. stigmatization. Yes. She had some more comments here. If Sacramento allowed us more choices of what to do with the unvaccinated than they have thus far, we would be in a different place than we are now. Yeah, if only Sacramento, if only the uh, California government were a little bit more oppressive, that would help things out. Oh, guess what, Ethan? She, uh, she, she wasn't done yet with her comments on this thing. Oh this is very personal to me. I grew up with polio. I saw classmates of mine die. False I saw what would have happened if we had the current environment. We'd still have polio today. People would still be getting polio today. This is very personal for me. And I want to tell those of you who come and say you think you've pushed us back. No, you didn't. The mandate remains. The difference between doing it second semester and doing it in the fall semester is, is that those that are unvaccinated will not be leaving classrooms and taking teachers with them because they will have never been allowed to enroll in in-person learning. Do I want anybody to be out of in-person learning? No. But all of you who are so worried about the mental health of your students who might not be able to be in in-person learning, get them vaccinated. It's really very simple. And please, don't start in with me about how many years you, before you'll know what the consequences are. We knew nothing of consequences with polio vaccines. Nothing. Zero. But it saved thousands and thousands and thousands of lives. And it kept thousands, hundreds of thousands more from losing uses of arms and legs. Get them vaccinated. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah, she's quite emotional about this issue. You know what reminds me of? You ever seen Lord of the Rings when uh, Bilbo tries to get the ring from Frodo uh -huh. and he's normal and goes... And like he turns into an evil goblin. <laughs> that's that's what it was to me. Oh my goodness! But this level of hysteria, you know, this is the new norm. They talk about the new norm. This is the new norm, and so, you know. We're talking about children's mental health because they're, we've got this mental health crisis and children have got all kinds of anxiety and depression. And when these are the people that you're looking to to lead you through and, and they're having that level of a breakdown over this issue and they can't get themselves under control or regulate their own emotions, what kind of a message does that send in directly to the children that essentially are, are under their care? What's my or, or my question is what what's the motivation between or behind uh, delaying the implementation of this mandate because Newsom just won his reelection so he's safe. 
because they got a pushback on it and uh, they're going to have to deal with the shortage of teach- teachers. So, you know, because the kids, I mean, ultimately, if you're not going to get vaccinated, then you're going to have to do the remote learning thing, which uh, you're going to deny kids the opportunity to actually be in class and be able to uh, to be with their, their classmates and have the, the social benefits that come with going and uh, getting a public school education. On the other hand, you know, listen, I, I left L.A. for a reason and uh, a part of it was having a daughter because there was no way I was sending my kid through that school system. You know, L.A. is one of those towns that at least it used to be. It was a great place to be when you're young, like Ari and uh, or, or you, Ethan, you know, and uh, yeah, maybe, we're the same age. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> maybe. Uh, and, and you're getting married. Uh, it's a lot of fun and it's a fun place to live. And then you have kids and everything becomes a major problem. All right, we're going to talk about Senator Joe Manchin. Also got some more previews for Biden's speech. He's going to be speaking today at about 2.20, 2.30, I think, is when he's scheduled to come out onto the stage. Sorry, <laughs> shaking his head. That's not going to happen. We're going to talk about all that next at 93 WIBC. Brian Baker and Ethan Hatcher in for Tony Katz. Ninety-three WIBC. Brian Baker, Ethan Hatcher, in for Mr. Tony Katz. We're going to be hanging out here tomorrow as well, and then we get some time in next week, Ethan, before we have to hand the keys back to Tony Katz. I'm looking forward to it. I think we're having a great time. <laughs> yes, indeedy. All right, so uh, Senator Joe Manchin, he torpedoed Joe Biden's uh, benchmark legislation uh, that he was hoping to get past the Build Back Better plan. <laughs> yeah, and so Democrats decided that uh, the best way to get him back to the negotiating table would be to call him an enemy of democracy and put out long, lengthy statements tearing him to shreds and uh, you know uh, making him uh, responsible, just him alone, for politics. Uh, Poverty and for people not getting their medicines. And, the basics of persuasion. Yeah, and and all of these uh, these issues too that uh, were not handled by Obamacare. But uh, nonetheless, Manchin didn't take too kindly to that. Uh, here are his comments the other day on Fox News. I'm not blaming anybody. I knew where they were, and I knew what they could and could not do. They just never realized it because they figure, surely to God we can move one person. Surely we can badger and beat one person up. Surely we can get enough protesters to make that person uncomfortable enough, they'll just say, okay, I'll vote for anything, just quit. Well, guess what? I'm from West Virginia. I'm not from where they're from, and they can just beat the living crap out of people and think they'll be submissive, period. You know, he's probably the most powerful man in the country right now, isn't he? Yeah. And as, even a swing vote and a slim majority, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and even with that... Uh, and as much as they have come after her, after him, and they just said some absolutely horrific things about Joe Manchin yesterday, but now he's saying that he might be willing to come back uh, and uh, and negotiate with them because there are pieces about the legislation that he actually likes and would be willing to back, but he's not going to bend on the extension of the child uh, uh, care tax credit that uh, has been going out. Those checks stopped. I think this month was actually the last month that uh, parents are going to be getting those, so that's certainly going to have an impact. But look, when you uh, it, it appears that there was a bit of a discrepancy in the overall math of this thing. Uh, Joe Biden, when he added things up, it, it came to free, and Joe Manchin and uh, also the independent uh, government accountability offices they did their own assessment, and it came to twenty nine trillion. So there was a little bit of a gap there, Ethan. And it doesn't matter how great the intention, it doesn't matter how great the idea, and what the benefit. It all comes down to economics and whether or not something can be paid for and whether or not we can afford it. Wait a minute, Brian. Didn't Saki say that the Congressional off- Budget Office made a mistake? <laughs> so, so you know, there we go. They, they're the ones that, that have the error. 
Well, it, and, and here's the thing, you know, they don't look about the long-term cost because the, the extension of the child care tax credit, you know, a popular government program like that, and of course it's going to be popular, you're giving people free money every single month. And for people who don't owe anything in, uh, in income taxes, they still get that money every single month because it's a refundable tax credit. So you essentially have a, a universal basic income. I think it might backfire, though, because they offered that extension of the child uh, tax credit those payments on the belief that they would be able to refund the money and then offer the full amount later. And now that's not going to happen because that money comes out of your overall child tax refund and the money that these people would be expecting in some cases right. is now not going to be there, which could engender a sense of uh, anger. Yeah, well, you know, and we've got uh, just uh, we've got one daughter and uh, but when that money was coming in every single month, I told my wife, I just said, put it in a, in a separate account because I'm sure we're going to be sending the majority of it back, you know, and, and that's one of the problems with the program is that it kind of punishes the middle class the same way that uh, that Obamacare did. Uh, you're, you're fine if you've got lots of money and you're fine if you have no money, but if you're uh, in that middle class, then you're going to struggle. You're going to have problems. And ultimately when you are plowing that much free money into the economy every single month. That's certainly not going to do uh, any favors for the inflation rate. Right now, we are looking at a 6% annual inflation rate, according to the latest readings here. And the Federal Reserve has said that they are going to be Johnny on the spot. They're going to take care of that issue. They're concerned about runaway inflation. So they're, uh, they're going to jump on it mm, sometime next year. <laughs> They're anticipating that there will be uh, at least two, possibly three to four rate hikes next year. But the problem, Ethan, is, I, you know, you can't account for the fact that there were supply chain shortages and uh, you've got increased demand and, and consumers are getting back out there and the economy's coming roaring back. Uh, you certainly can't account for the increased housing costs. There's only so much that the Federal Reserve can do in order to, to put the brakes on this system. And what I am uh, extremely concerned about, I mean, you go to the to the grocery now. I actually, my wife generally does the shopping, and I, I went recently. I was completely shocked. But you're a landlord, so this must create all kinds of different challenges for you, not only because I know you rehab a lot of properties mm -hmm. before you rent them out, but then, you know, your overall uh, cost, the overhead uh, continues to go up, and you've got people locked into leases and uh, how how does this impact you? Um, well, it's going to probably in all likelihood uh, put a stop to many of my rehab efforts here in the very short term future because I'm having to deal with catch up, playing catch up from people who pay me nothing right. during the eviction moratorium and left extensive damages that have to be repaired in their properties. And then at the same time, as soon as that eviction moratorium left up, I had a number of people who either left and found better properties that they could now pursue or or other individuals who were, you know, so far in defaulted in their debt that I had to file on eviction. All that coming together at the same time is an enormous pressure on any business, and it's yeah. going to limit my ability to improve properties that improve people's lives here on the east side of Indianapolis. So it, it, it has a negative impact. And I've seen the cost of everything go up. Lumber prices going up. Basic uh, construction commodities. Screw, you know, screw prices. Things that you don't even think of. Yeah. Um, paint prices, go, you know, increasing yeah. exponentially. Uh, something that, we, uh, cabinet, cabinetry. Everything is more expensive and that 
has to factor in. I'm having to raise rent prices, and it all has a negative downstream effect. Yeah, boy, uh, people that uh, were fortunate enough to get locked into a house and uh, maybe refinance their mortgage when rates were really low, um, they're going to have a major advantage because I I do think that we're going to see accelerated inflation. The uh, consumer um, uh, estimates uh, for what they're anticipating is uh, up into the double digits. I mean, we haven't seen this kind of inflation in 30 years. So certainly a lot of devaluation of the dollar prices going up. I don't know uh, how long it's going to take to bring some relief on the supply chain side. And now at the exact same time that we're dealing with all of these issues, the Biden White House is intending to raise the price of a uh, your average car because they put new fuel mandates uh, on uh, on automakers. And uh, I don't know about you, Ethan, but I, you know, I, my my truck gets pretty good gas mileage. My Kia gets pretty good gas mileage. Uh, I think uh, the uh, the mandates under Trump were what, like twenty miles per gallon. Uh, now they're going to be going up to thirty over the uh, period of the next five years. But this, to me, kind of. I don't know, I guess show, Democrats show their hands in terms of their overall confidence in green energy and certainly in electric cars, because that's what the automakers are focusing on right now. So why do we need fuel mandates on these automakers? Why do we need to take additional money out of their pockets that they could be spending to develop this technology, develop green energy and, and electric cars? Instead, they got to plow that money into uh, the engineering and development of a, uh, a combustion uh, engine that's going to get 30 miles to the gallon. I think the point is to make the production of cost uh, or the production of oil-based technology so cost prohibitive that it then becomes competitive with electric. Yeah. So you're by proxy influencing the decisions of the consumer by making their products more cost prohibitive, and then all of a sudden now the electric uh, electric technology is uh, competitive. Well, and granted, I understand that they're going to give folks some kind of a rebate, you know, like they did for cash for clunkers a while back if they uh, if they buy these cars that uh, are, are electric. But again, you know, you can certainly make the argument that we're going to um, we're not going to drill where we're going to allow the price of oil to go up in order to compensate and make make electric and green energy affordable but that still doesn't take care of the automakers themselves because you know whether you're buying electric or uh, you're buying a traditional car the prices still go up across the board when the uh, the overall cost to operate for these automakers goes up whenever i see these thousands of cars just sitting on the empty vacant lots waiting for Mm -hmm. chips in order in order to be finished off the production line i just kind of sit back and i think man if only we had the technology to make cars go without putting a computer in them man (laughs) Well, if if only that technology existed. To me, I think having all the uh, electronics in a mechanical device is a, a natural hindrance to the overall process. But that's me. I'm yeah, a little bit old-fashioned in that regard. Yes, indeedy. Hey, uh, Lauren Michaels, the executive producer and creator of Saturday Night Live, came out and made a little announcement about his plans for the future. And also... Sexual assault is now happening in the virtual world. Anytime new technology comes along, Ethan, some idiot always finds a way to screw it up for the rest of us. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Brian Baker, Ethan Hatcher, in for Tony Katz. They're locked on to 93 WIBC. WIBC, Brian Baker and Ethan Hatcher in for Tony Katz, producer Ari, uh, keeping us entertained here during the breaks. We get into these conversations and forget, oh yeah, we have to do a radio show. Our hometown of Carmel, 
at least that's my uh, my hometown. Where that's where my folks are located and where I'm staying over this blessed holiday season. Uh, they put out a little announcement that their unemployment rate has dropped to 1.2%. That makes it the lowest amongst all cities in the state of Indiana. That's incredible. Yeah. Carmel yeah. always rubbing our nose in it. Mm-hmm. Have you have you spent much time up in Carmel? Because uh, I can talk to Brainerd and, uh, you know, like get you a day pass. <laughs> There's no way Brainerd would give you a day pass. <laughs> No, you know what? They, they have done a phenomenal job up there because uh, I can certainly remember when Carmel wasn't much of anything. And uh, Mayor Brainerd, his his vision for the entire city has been phenomenal. And for all the heat that he takes, you know, the people that live there, I, they're there by choice. Uh, taxes are certainly lower than they are in Marion County. In fact, when we were driving down the other day to go to the museum, we, you know, we're coming down Meridian. My mother says, you know, if you close your eyes, you can tell when you enter Marion County because of the roads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not a joke. No, no. So, uh, Ethan, are you a, uh, uh, are you on the Facebook? Oh, yeah, yeah. of course. All right. Which are you now- on the Facebook? Can you sound any older? <laughs> Listen, anyway, it's now called, called uh, Meta, right? Is that's that- the parent company, yes. Yes, all right. So that is, uh, that's how they've dubbed it now. Well, they've got a new virtual reality platform that they launched. Um, this is a, a technology and and something that I don't exactly understand. I don't understand the appeal of it, and I don't understand how it works. However, we got a little problem here. It just launched last week, and already sexual assault is happening in the virtual reality world. That's that's just human nature, Brian. Anytime a new technology is developed, humans ask, can we kill people with it, and can we have sex with it? <laughs> it's inevitable. It's going to happen sooner or later. All right, so uh, <laughs> this one user, uh, she, she gave a testimony about what happened here and said, not only was I groped last night, but there were other people there who supported this behavior, which made me feel isolated in the plaza. In another incident, uh, a writer tried out uh, the uh, the VR experience, and she spoke of being surrounded by a group of male avatars who started taking pictures of her, and it made her feel like a specimen. So the solution virtual safe spaces as of now the uh, the metaverse realm has a tool called safe zone it's supposed to be a protective bubble built as a safety feature that can purportedly protect users uh, who feel threatened and once the shield goes up then no one can talk or touch or interact with the user in any way but now we come down to the meat of the issue here ethan the claim is that virtual uh, reality sexual harassment is still sexual harassment in all dimensions. It's real. It has detrimental effects on humans behind the avatars. And uh, one particular uh, spokesperson for Ohio State University told MIT that, quote, I think people should keep in mind that sexual harassment has never had to be a physical thing. It can be verbal, yes, and it can be a virtual experience as well. Okay, so my experience with virtual reality is back in the Union Station days when we had this little tiny thing you would pay like three bucks for. It was a giant orange, almost spaceship-looking thing, and you paid three bucks, and you got inside of it, and it had seats, and the thing kind of moved back and forth like, uh, you know, the the kids, (laughs) the rights for the kids, and it had a little screen, and that was supposed to be the virtual reality experience. Now, apparently, it's progressed to the point that people can't necessarily tell the difference and uh, the you mind. You can do it and, on your phone, yeah. Yeah, and and apparently the central nervous system can't make the distinction between the two. So if people are being sexually harassed in the virtual environment, the emotions and the trauma that they experience is allegedly the same as it would be in real life. 
Your thought on that, Ethan? I don't think it counts. This is something that video gamers have had to deal with since the early aughts of multiplayer uh, multiplayer games uh, like Halo. I mean, uh, I've been told that I can't use the word, so I'm trying to figure out a descriptive. When one dips their uh, tea, that, in the, no, you know, that's in the, enough. That uh, well, yes, anyway. that's fine. Okay, so we we get the idea. Um, and and video gamers did that like all the time. It's fairly commonplace. I, I'm, I'm just not sure that the translation, like, what are you going to do with all those people from throughout the 2000s if this actually counts as sexual harassment? Just turn it off. Well, but, well, okay, fair enough. Um, and you can do that after you've had the experience. But, sure. you know, let's, uh, let me just play devil's advocate here. You know, if they can... If, if the experience is the same as in real life, even if uh, nothing physical occurs... And uh, we, we go forward with the idea that, yeah, okay, this is still sexual harassment or sexual assault. Then uh, does the uh, does the person, uh, the victim, have the grounds to sue at that point in time? And, you know, can they, can they sue Facebook? Can they sue the person that went after them? And doesn't that kind of open up Pandora's box on this issue for what else we can go after someone for online if they've offended or traumatized us in some way? I mean, absolutely. Um, I think actually Ari had an interesting case that you brought up in uh, the produ- production meeting about sexual assault that I thought was fascinating. Uh, there um, was a, there was a case years ago in 2001. A uh, individual had digitally messaged a woman, a young girl, ten years old, and told her to do especially explicit things to herself, and he was charged with aggravated sexual assault despite having never met her. And that's kind of the standard now is that the the idea is that the internet, the, the law has not cut up to the internet. Are, are we dealing with kind of like uh, uh, obscenity standard, you know it when you see it type thing? I, uh, no, it's one of those things where if it happened in real life, you'd be like, whoa, that's not okay. Mm-hmm. And kids these days are spending equal amounts of time online as they are in real life see that that is disturbing to me and I, I don't quite understand it and raising a daughter you know i didn't listen the internet it was still dial up and it was just sort of coming into uh into the mainstream when i was a senior in high school so i i've watched this evolve and uh, you know the smartphones and uh, the content on demand and the things that you can get access to but i've never understood virtual reality i mean listen I, I granted i'm not a big video games guy i can certainly understand where you can get locked into some of those things i certainly enjoy sitting down and watching a movie but the virtual reality thing to me just i i it, for whatever reason i just don't understand it's, it. it's i don't v- get the appeal to, to be fair it's very immersive it's it's tough to describe unless you've done it but now you can literally get a $20 headset, stick your phone in there, and be there. And see, I've done that. Like, I, I, one of my uh, cousins, he, he got the, uh, like, the, the Star Wars thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I played it. I got to tell you, man, like, I, I would rather be sitting in front of a television. Not only could I uh, not really, uh, I mean, it did not, it, listen, I didn't feel like a Jedi. I get all right? that. Imagine you're a 13-year-old kid doing that, and you're talking to all your friends doing it. <laughs> It will have an effect on you, and I, I, I don't get it necessarily either, but it does. That's my, that's kind of my take on it in the virtual reality experience. I don't have a headset myself yet, but I've used a few other people's headsets, and most of the online interactions seem to be heavily populated by thirteen-year-olds. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah, not I think it's a, it's a generational scene. thing, and I totally get how they would feel. This is the normalcy in their life. All right. So, uh, speaking of being a Jedi. 
and and uh, you know, listen, I uh, the Star Wars thing is a uh, uh, listen. That's another thing I could never get into. But uh, the oh horrifying, what? the horrifying Star Wars holiday special. Shut someone, your mouth. Someone online has uh, given it an unofficial 4K upgrade. And if you haven't seen this thing, which I have, it is peak insanity when uh, it was just mass Star Wars hysteria. And it has the original folks in it, like Mark Hamill and yes. Gary Fishers. And, and, but it is shot basically on video. And it is one of the creepiest things I have ever seen in my life. But here's the thing. Amongst uh, Star Wars fans, it's very popular. And as much as I, you know, could kind of take or leave the movies themselves, oh my god, there's something about really bad television or bad movies, bad holiday specials in particular. I mean, I've watched my share of Captain Tennille specials. <laughs> there's just something about them that captures my attention, and I can't get enough of it. And I don't think I'm alone in that. It's the sincerity behind the attempt. <laughs> Thank I you, think, Ethan. <laughs> Somebody in the room gets it. All right, so I'll give you that. Is there uh, Emmett Otter was the big special that we loved as kids growing up? The Emmett Otter Jug Band Christmas. Did you ever see that one? Mm. Ari, I'm Jewish, so we didn't really have Christmas special viewings. What, you don't yeah. have jug bands. What's a jug or, or band? Otters? Oh my goodness gracious! I watched See, I the, the Rugrats holiday special was a was it, a regular viewing in my house. Yeah, it was a Jim Henson uh, holiday special, a legendary Jim Henson uh, holiday special. You've got these uh, otters and uh, yeah, oh my like God. otters the animal. A Muppets Christmas Carol is a legendary Jim Henson special. Never saw it. What? Speaking of uh, bad taste or, or questionable taste about movies and uh, actors, here coming up in a couple of minutes, uh, Ethan made some very reckless comments online about uh, John Candy and John Hughes. We're going to have a discussion about that coming up. Brian Baker, Ethan Hatcher, in for Tony Katz on 93 WIBC. Ninety-three WIBC. Brian Baker, Ethan Hatcher, in for Tony Katz. Producer Ari here running the board. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you were supposed to play something different. Here we go. <laughs> Little Emmett Otter. Ain't no hole in the wash tub. Get you in the holiday spirit. They play this one on B one zero five seven. Yeah, so uh, Joe Biden is coming out to deliver his Christmas message, a uh, finger-wagging speech to the unvaccinated. Uh, well, supposedly it's going to happen here in, uh, what, like a half hour, but there's no way that he's going to make it out onto the stage and start uh, talking in time. However, when he does start uh, letting things fall out of his mouth, then uh, we will certainly carry that live for you. All right, so the other day I was uh, scrolling through Facebook, uh, the Facebook meta now, and Ethan had made a comment on our news director's uh, uh, our news director made a comment about John Hughes movies, and Ethan wrote that uh, John uh, Candy, beloved actor and comedian, that Uncle Buck was the best film that he had made. Yes. And I, I'm going to give you an opportunity here. Go ahead with your argument, because, and I will say I love Uncle Buck, but there's no way that that qualifies as Candy's best film. It gave us some of the most memorable lines, which continue to be memes today, including, here, take this quarter and have a rat and all that thing off your face. 
one of the best lines ever uttered in cinema. And, mm -hmm. you, you know, uh, I, I keep my hatchet so sharp it could shave the testicles off a gnat. Wait, bug? Gnat? Is there some sort of connection okay. here? Okay. And, you know, and I could go on with quotes like that. Right. It's John Candy at his John Candiest. He's sweet. The interactions with him and the kids, you know. Mm. Oh, you see the pancakes? You should see the toast. I couldn't even get it through the door. <laughs> I, the whole movie is great. It's tightly edited. Every line is is uh, valuable or contributes to the development of the characters in some way. It's I just love that movie. Uh, Uncle Buck is my favorite John Candy movie, and I appreciate that you made the distinction. It's not my favorite John Hughes movie, but it is my favorite John Candy movie. Well, all right, now i got to ask the favorite John Hughes movie. Uh, you know, it's got to be a tie between Ferris Bueller's Day Off and uh, Breakfast Club. Yeah, yeah, both of those real Damn. good. It, 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 uh, they're the way, so culturally important, either one of them. I, I just can't, I can't quite make the de decision, have but you it ever would seen be either one of those. The John Candy movie Summer Rental? Yes. Thank you. It's really good. Right? Super underrated. Yes, yeah, super underrated. And I think that's uh, that's one of Nigel's favorites as well. Um, uh, we were talking um, about Nigel likes it? Yeah. Never mind. It's not that good. <laughs> <laughs> I've been playing strange in automobiles. You know, I can't believe John Candy made so many films. I mean, I'm, I'm relieved you didn't say who's Harry Crumb, but he did, man. He made some cool great runnings. He was one of the first celebrity deaths that I remember being so brokenhearted. I remember hearing the news on the radio and just being crazy. Rush. Did you ever see the impression that he did of Orson Welles on yes. Billy Crystal's program? I thought it was Orson Welles. <laughs> the dude, oh my God, that was a dead-on impersonation. He was great, and we don't really have those kinds of, of actors or celebrities anymore. Jim Carrey was for a while before he went crazy. Oh no, Jim Carrey was always terrible. No, are no. you serious? Jim Carrey was so good at impressions. He was, okay, impressions, yeah. Except they all kind of had that same overacted... Uh, appeal you know it's like dana carvey's good at doing impressions but they all sort of follow the same basic track i'm trying to think of like in our in my generation it was jim carrey like the dot that was the guy who did the impressions you know jim carrey's good at impressions because he could impress he could make an impression with just his face that's why no he was great required. all right fine and now he's gone off the deep end and well yeah that's so irrelevant yeah. i'm not his joe biden was horrible <laughs> like that's why he got fired after three episodes you ever see his weird paintings i mean people like to make fun of george bush but jim yeah. carrey made some weird paintings. yeah but they sold for a lot of money so are they weird or are they art all right, so let's talk quickly here uh, about Lorne Michaels because he's considering leaving Saturday Night Live. He says uh, the upcoming 50th anniversary is uh, probably a good time for him to think about exiting. And this is what he uh, said to a Hollywood reporter. You know, I think I'm committed to doing this show until the 50th, which is in three years. I'd like to see that through. I have a feeling it would be a good time to leave. But I don't want the show to ever be bad too late, and I care too deeply about it. It's been my life's work, so... Uh, I'm doing everything I can to carry on. I don't know, 50 years, uh, I don't know that that show will survive without him. And we were talking in the production meeting, too, that Saturday Night Live, for some reason, it's comedy evolves. It evolves with the culture and the times, and everybody's got their favorites. But um, the favorite era for Saturday Night Live seems to be whatever whatever it was when you were like in that teenage years, the early teenagers uh, through your, your mid-20s. No, I... I I'm only 30, and I can tell you the best era was Eddie Murphy was the greatest SNL player of all time. His skits are number one, period. Any other opinion is wrong. 
I'm going to borrow a take from producer Ari. My stance on Lauren Mark Michaels' departure from SNL is much like Ari's stance on the president. It doesn't affect me in any way. <laughs> I don't care. Ethan, I love you. <laughs> well, I think maybe he's also a little sick of the overall comedy climate. I mean, things have loosened up a little bit, but my goodness, I mean, at the beginning of the year, it was really tense. So there seems to be some pushback now from they, comedians. They have, like, to be fair to SNL, they have hit pretty hard on Biden. And did you guys see the uh, Are You a Republican skit? Mm -mm. I don't watch the show anymore. Okay, yet. there's a great clip now. of Are You a Republican, and it like just absolutely lambasts the Democratic Party. It was so well done. I wish you had seen it so I could elaborate. You know, I actually auditioned for Second City, which is where they pull a lot of talent for Saturday Night Live. Went up to Chicago. Steve Carell was still there at the time. Yeah. I auditioned in front of him. And, you know, I had never taken any improv classes whatsoever, but I had written them a letter that was very funny. And had I discovered that really writing was more my talent than being a performer, I, I, I probably would be in a different place in life. But at the time, I still wanted to be a star, you know? So I went up there and, man, these kids that I was auditioning with, they had been taking classes up there for two to three years and I got up on that stage with them and I froze and no! it was and the whole time man like I just couldn't wait to get back off the stage and when it was over like I'm my face I know which just did they say anything red. to you no, no, it's just, but but they call everybody back up to do another audition, and everyone got called for a second time oh, except no. for me. Oh. And I was so, you know, it, it was, I was like 21 years old, man, and I ran out of there, and oh, God, I got in the car. I was ready to cry just from embarrassment. It was absolutely a horrific experience, but at least I can say I did it. You know, I gave that it a That is a great story. Yeah, I took you a learned swing. something. Yeah, I learned, yeah, I learned I'm not an improv comic. <laughs> Brian Baker, Ethan Hatcher, in for Tony Katz. You know, the fabulous Joe Biden coming up here uh, at some point in the next hour. He's going to be delivering his stark warning to the unvaccinated. How exciting. Stick around for that. 93 WIBC. You're listening to Tony Katz today. Brian Baker, Ethan Hatcher.